the Medrash in Bamid Baraba introduces a very, very familiar phrase, one which uh, almost everyone has been has encountered. The phrase of the Medrash, again, a familiar, almost a cliche, Shivim Panim Latar. There are 70 understandings, 70 layers and perceptions of Torah. As I'll say, that's why Torah is compared to Yayin, one of the reasons, because Yayin is bigamatria, 70, and known as 50, and the two Yuds complete the, complete the number to 70. And this statement in the Medrash reminds us that Torah, because it has a divine author, doesn't merely possess one level of meaning. But what of this creative view of Torah, the affirmation of Torah's creativity, applies to the world of halacha. Obviously, when it comes to reading the divine word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Torah, Shebech a Pasuk, in Tanakh, obviously, Lahabdil, even a human author, if he's skilled enough, can write a verse and incorporate multiple layers of meaning. Sometimes even, he's very skilled, contrasting meaning, conflicting meaning. Obviously, conflict, which is meant to complement. So when the Galarian Sanhedrin talks about Torah being like a hammer that breaks a rock and the rock splinters into uh, 70 pieces, so that image is evocative of 70 different interpretations. Again, the, the Galarian Sanhedrin, that's Lamedala, doesn't talk about 70, but the splintering of the stone, the splintering effect of Torah. When it comes to reading a Pasuk, obviously there's plural meanings, multiple coexistent truths. What about in the field of halacha, the field of gemara, of Torah Shabbat, particularly the, the aspects of Torah Shabbat that speak to human experience, ritual, mitzvot, monetary laws, marital laws, basically what we would say shas. Can we accept multiple truths? Can we accept the same shivim panim latara, the same splintering effect of the rock. Can we accept pluralism in the halachic field? And this is a question which obviously has been dealt with extensively. I'm not going to give a full survey, but I think it's an important question, and it's one which begins historically, but ultimately the history impacts the experience. And after all, these shiurim are a series on not not specifically the history of Talmud Torah, but more specifically the experience of Talmud Torah. If we feel that a dispute, a machlokis, different opinions, is a reflection of the breakdown or the disintegration of the Masara, and that gives a certain feel for the process of studying these positions, what we would call a shitas yachid, or a shita which was rejected, or a havamin of the Gemara that was subsequently debunked. It may be contact with the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Obviously, you'd recite a Birch HaSatara on it, as Kedusha. But ultimately, we would evaluate it as less, less, um, less authentic. And therefore, the feel of the experience and the decision to invest time, we'd pursue a much more narrowly defined Torah experience. We'd obviously have to read the Havaminas just to better understand the rejection. We'd have to see all the opinions to better understand the dominant and surviving opinion, the halachically authoritative opinion. But ultimately, we'd make a beeline for the what we would perceive to be the conclusive opinion.
Now, the week could differ from person to person. Certainly before, there's codification and institutionalization, such as in the Shulchan Arach, so our Talmud of the Ramban would make a beeline or a straight arrow for the Ramban's sock, and the Talmud of the Rabbeinu Tam would make a very different beeline for the Rabbeinu Tams, but ultimately the experience would be the same, would be similar. Just the targets would be a little different. Whereas if we take a more creative view of creativity in Torah, and we don't see it as merely the breakdown or the disintegration of the Masara, then at least in the theoretical world of encountering Devar Hashem, there really is little difference between an obscure position stated by um, a minority or, or minor Rishon and the dominating authoritative, conclusive position echoed by the Shulchan Aruch, even if the Ramah agrees with him. So there's a symmetry here between the history of Torah and its evolution and what role creativity plays in the evolution of the Masara and how it affects our experience. I'm delivering this year, or I'm re- recording this year, now the third day of the week, it's uh, Parshas Korach. Last night, Monday, was the Levaya of Rav Mordechai Elio, Zechah who served as the Rafa Rashi, the Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel from 1983 to 1993. Very meaningful event, obviously not meaningful, but a gathering of all of Am Yisrael, many different stripes and many different colors to attend his Levaya. And one of the differences that is commonly um, commonly associated between the Ashkenazic form of learning and the Sephardic form of learning, although today there's a bit of a spilling and a bleeding of one into the other, but the whole process of analysis, lambdas, pilpul, call it what you want, has become very dominant in the Ashkenazic world as a result of the yeshiva movement of the last 200 years. The yeshiva movement did not impact Sephardic Torah learning and Sephardic Torah study um, until very recently in Eretz Yisrael, where Sephardim began to attend the great Ashkenazic yeshivas, although there obviously are Sephardic, great, great Sephardic yeshivas as well, but many Sephardim are attending the classic Lithuanian yeshivas, which stress the analysis, not just the conclusive psak. You can very simply see this difference between reading um, reading the Torah of Ravad Yosef and reading the Torah of the Rav. Very different orientation. Ravad Yosef is collecting opinions. There's obviously analysis, but there's a sense of collecting opinions and filtering until you reach the psak, whereas in the Rav Zatzal is real intellectual analysis, independent of what the conclusive psak would be. Um, even in reading with Moshe Feinstein, you know, that it's not really fair to compare the Rub's writings to Ravaji Yosef's writings because the Rub's writings um, are not halachic response. Most of Ravaji Yosef's writings are halachic response, but even if you compare Ravaji Yosef to Moshe Feinstein or any of the other modern halachic responses, it's Eliezer, Minchas Yitzchak, certainly Earlier responses than know the and the Chassam Sofer, you clearly see the differences. So what is our position? So the answer is, there, as, was, as you wouldn't be surprised, not ironic, that there are different approaches to what role creativity plays. One could say that both approaches are correct. But one approach suggests that essentially at Harsina, Kodesh Baruch Hu downloaded everything to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a medrash which appears several times in the Medrash, and that Kodesh Baruch Hu gave Moshe at Harsinai Mikra, 
Mishnah, I'm reading it now from Bayikra Rabba, Parsha Chavbeis. He gave him scripture, the Mishnah, Halachos, Tamatara, Toseptos, Agadatos, everything. Anything that a Talmud would ultimately raise in the presence of his Rebbe was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. And if you take this Medrash literally, so if anyone raises a legitimate Svara in the base Medrash or in a Shirim, assuming it's legitimate, that was already discussed between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe. That's how comprehensive. Obviously, it's impossible for a us to imagine that, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu's experience of teaching Torah to Moshe was obviously superhuman. It was not our experience of studying over a Sefer and interacting with a Chavrusa or with a Rebbe. That means that everything was already given to Moshe, and presumably, though not necessarily an extension of that Medrash, but logically, likewise, HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivers to Moshe a clear sense of how the Masara should unfurl, of what the position should be. And Machlokis then breaks out when people forget what the Masara was. So, for example, the Gemara and Shabbos, Daf Yudal, it speaks about Shammai and Hillel themselves, not Be Shammai and Be Silla, but the people. Shammai and Hillel had only three arguments. And before them, the Gemara says there's really only one argument, the argument about Smicha on a carbon. That Gemara provides a sense that it were really rarely Machloksin. And the implication may be because they were so close to Harsinai, they were so committed to Torah study that there was really no need for a Machloksin because they remembered exactly how HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered the Masara to Moshe. Or as a parallel Gemara, again, all these Gemaras are quite malleable and can be stretched and redefined, but the simple reading of the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Pecha Summer Days, as the Tamidim of Shammai and Hillel began to wane in their Torah study, and not just in the Torah study, but in their, what we would call in the modern context, Shimush, to have direct encounter with Rabbanim, either in a halachic context, today when someone wants to start passing halachos, they have to do Shimush in certain areas that require practical, like the Nida. can't just learn it from a Sefer, you have to um, you have to uh, spend some time with Rabbanu Morpatskin and acquire that proficiency. The shadow, a posik. But it's not just what we would call Shemosh, Shemosh Kotzarach, we just mean having contact with Rabbanim, sometimes having contact and seeing the way they paskin or just having a broader understanding you can't get simply from learning from that ready is crucial. So at some point, again, presumably around the time of the Chorban, but even before, there was a slackening off of the way people study Torah, and that led to the outburst of Machloksin, as the Gemara concludes in Sanhedrin, Venasei's Torah Kishtei Taros. And the unitary Torah, which had existed for so many centuries, now became splinter Torah, two Taras. And that Gemara is said with a bit of a lament, almost as if uh, it's, a, it's a scenario which had be, would best to have been avoided, but it was unavoidable. So these are all sources that are suggestive of a direct delivery and a unitary Masara, a unified Masara, which becomes splintered because of historical and, and academic circumstances, unfortunate historical and academic circumstances. And essentially a machlokis is merely a wrestling match try to uncover what that original Masara was. So that's the case. 
in our role is to just to simply arrive at the halacha conclusion. Obviously, we want to study dissenting opinions. We want to understand the process better, to better understand the mechanism, and, and better be able to issue that decisive um, that decisive position. The Gemara in Sanhedrin on Dafyud Zayin and Aleph talks about the prerequisites for becoming a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of the prere- prerequisites is that they have to be able to be mitayar or sheretz minatara. Someone has to have the ability to take a sheretz, which is obviously tamay, and find a way to make it tar. To provide almost a counter position to that which seems obvious in the Torah. This isn't talking about something machlokas. There's really no machlokas about a sheretz being tamay or tar. But that mental facility, to be able to take something which is obvious and understand levels of depth that aren't so obvious, even though that position is purely hypothetical. No one's going to say a sheretz is tar. But even in pursuing a purely hypothetical position, the process becomes refined. It's a very well-known Nesivos HaMishpat. Nesivos HaMishpat wrote a sefer. Nesivos, Rabbeinu Yaakov Milisa wrote a sefer on Choshen Mishpat called the Nesivos HaMishpat. Many others of he authored. So in Nesivos, he talks about not just understanding the process better, but understanding elements and nuggets of truth about the dominant position, even in the rejected position, there are certain uh, ideas and certain truths that complement our understanding of the dominant authoritative position. There's a Rashi in Ksuvos on Dafnun Zayin, goes even further, that even if a position is not accepted, it may only be rejected in the standard or conventional situation, but there may be extreme circumstances either practically, where you have to rely on a kula, or even not just practically, but fundamentally, legislatively, that minority opinion may be more compelling. As Rashi says, Sometimes one reason or one position is relevant. Sometimes another position is relevant. As Rashi concludes, The logic becomes inverted or altered based on changed circumstances or differing variables even a slight alteration of the variables can alter the halacha so because life is, has so many permutations so understanding each position is important because although the dominant position will apply or the authoritative position will apply in the standard case may not apply if a slight variable is altered so there are multiple reasons for studying the full bevy the full spectrum of positions. But ultimately, fundamentally, we don't evaluate them as equal because there is only one position that's the dominant position, the position, the Masara that was delivered in Harsinai. Now, of course, at a practical level, we study every position of equal value because we don't really know which one is the dominant position because we don't really know what was given in Harsinai. Even though there could be stages at which a psaq is issued, and at least at a practical level, a position becomes authoritative, doesn't necessarily make it be Masara, even within this model. It just becomes a Masara because of a stated position. So if the Gemara rules like Rav against Abai, who knows whether Abai or Rav was right, but for whatever reasons, the Gemara is possibly like Rav, or like Rav, like Shmuel and Mamanus, or when the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, based on a two out of three majority, based on the Rambam, Rif, and the Rush, 
let's say the Rambam and the Rif hold one position and the, Ruff hold, the Rush holds a different position. Maybe the Rush is reflecting, according to this model, what was originally given in our Sinai, but Shulchan Aruch, in his attempt to institutionalize Allah, felt the Rambam and the Rif were such influential personalities that at a practical level, we have to follow their psaq and then institutionalize their psaq. So when a person sits down to read a Gemara, it may not make that much of a difference practically, although it would haunt him if the Shulchan Aruch takes a certain position, given his level of scholarship and aptitude that certainly casts a certain lopsidedness to the equation, and the Rambam's position would influence what we really believe was given in Harsinai, as obviously would the conclusion of Shas, but possibly like this Shita or that Shita, or Rebbe's incorporation in the Mishnah. But at least fundamentally, you could still defend the viability of a dissenting minority opinion that was given in Harsinai. But the experience of Talmud Torah would be heavily, heavily flavored and altered by recognizing that ultimately, there is one truth that I'm pursuing, and I'm wading my way through this forest of opinions, and I may never understand that truth, but and all the forest is important, but there's really one tree that's different from all the other trees. And then there's a different approach. This approach, if you want to take a look at the very famous letter of Rav Shriragon, it seems that he tilts in this direction. The disintegration of Masara leads to machlokas, leads to dispute. Then there's another approach, and obviously an approach which I'm a little prejudiced too, because that's the world that I occupy, the world of Gemara analysis and the world of what some would call brisker lambdas, and make such a huge investment in a world in which there's only one truth and spend so much time uncovering the logic of alternate positions only as a means to a larger end to better understand the dominant position would uh, be a very, very haunting proposition. So there's another approach, and it stems from very interesting Gemara in Chagiga, in Daf Gimel. The Gemara in Chagiga, Daf Gimel, Amid Beis, is commenting on a phrase in the end of Kohelas, Baalei Asufos. And Chazal at least understand this phrase, Baalei Asufos, the people who gather. People that gather in numbers. And the Gemara continues, they assemble, some declare an object to be Tame, some declare it to be Tar, some... Proclaim it to be mutter, some proclaim it to be aser, some pasul, some amachshir, and in a very existential sense, the Gemara says as follows: Shema Yomer Adam Hechani Lomi Tarameata. I really identify with this statement. How am I supposed to learn Torah? I don't think it just means how am I supposed to learn Torah? There's too much. Too much never hurt anyone. How am I supposed to learn? Which position should I adopt? Which position should I study? Talmud Lomar, Kulam Nitnu Mereo Echa, the end of the Pasuk, was all given from one shepherd. El Echa Nasnam, they were given through one shepherd, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Parnish Echad Amram, one leader, one deliverer. Mipi Adon Kalamaisim Baruch Hu, Vayidabur Elokim, is Kal Advarim Ha'ilu. Afata, Aseyaz Lecha Kiaparchesos, you should tilt your ear to gather it all, the Lecha Leiv Mevin Lechmoa, you should have a heart that's wide enough to understand, Divrei Mitamim, Divrei Mitarim, talk about this later, a little, maybe in a different year, about the role of a heart in studying Torah. What's the difference between studying that comes from a heart and studying that comes from a mind? But either way, this is a Gemara which suggests that all the positions, both the positions of the people who said Tameh and the positions of the people who said Torah, were all given from the Kodesh Baruch Hashem didn't give one Masar. Hashem gave all the positions. Now, how did HaKadosh Baruch Hu give all the positions? Seems to be a, a somewhat uh, 
difference, a slight difference between the description of these multiply delivered truths in the Ritva, in Erevin, and the description in Maharshal, the Yamshul Shlomo. The Ritva in Erevin, commenting, of course, in a well-known Gemara in Erevin, which I'll talk about soon, quotes the French Rabbanim, who asks, literally, how could it be that they're both true? How could they both be the word of Hashem? And he answered these French Rabbanim who asked him, this is a Ritva in Erevin, Dafir Gimel, when Moshe ascended to Shemayim, Hashem displayed 49 ways to make something usher and 49 ways to make something mutter. Human beings operate in a binary world. We can only have one truth. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu can encompass conflicting realities. For us, it's either day or night. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it can be both day and night. It can be both light and darkness, something that I can't explain to you because I'm a human being. But we say it every day in davening. Yotzer or Uvari Choshech. Shalom, Hashem can incorporate the hakol, the integration of contrasting elements. For us, it can be one or the other. It's either mutter or usher, but Kaddish Baruch Hu's world, it can be both. Again, I can't explain it to you, but that's the difference between a Kaddish Baruch Hu and a human being. So Kaddish Baruch Hu delivered the whole package, even though at a practical level we have to choose one normative way of behaving, should we behave as if it's us or behave as if it's mutter, but in an abstract theoretical world they can each be true. The Maharal in his Be'er Hagola, very interesting Sefer, Maharal in his Be'er Hagola, in his first section, describes this a little bit more specifically. It talks about elements in nature. They have contrasting sources. In his metaphysical world, they're built based on water, built based on earth, but this, it talks about the same thing with Torah. Torah has different components to it. And each human being is able to sense a different component. Halacha, practical halacha, tries to find the dominant component. But it doesn't mean that the minority component isn't true also. So the Maharal in the Berhagola talks about different components that are coexistent. And Psach revolves around isolating the dominant, not the minority one. The Ritva doesn't talk about dominant and minority. The Ritva has Moshe, Esri, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, well, if everything is so fungible and flexible, Hashem says, Sheheze Master Lachachme Yisrael. Hashem answers Moshe, it will be delivered to the Chachme Yisrael and they'll be Machria. It doesn't say which is the dominant, which is not, they'll just be Machria. But the common denominator between the Ritva and the Maharal is that Kurdish Baruch Hu delivered to Moshe Rabbeinu multiple truths. And Moshe somehow was able to understand those multiple truths and convey those multiple truths. And the Masara was able to sustain those multiple truths. So it's not as if before Machlokas erupted, people were learning one idea. They were learning multiple ideas, either because, as the Maharal said, different people were trying to find a dominant amongst multiple ideas, or even if there wasn't a dominant one. People were studying, people's minds were large enough to contain two ideas at once and to reconcile the two and to find the inner logic that unites the two. And when the Gemara in Sanhedrin talks about the breakdown, which leads to Machlok, it's not a breakdown that people forgot the one idea. People's Tara ability became weakened, and they were unable to maintain multiple ideas at once, as Moshe was and as, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered. But it doesn't mean there was one idea and one Masara. 
people were unable to see that multiplicity, and then it became a machlokas. They were able to see them as exclusive only. And therefore, they said, well, I hold this and I hold that, and they weren't able to see the union of the two. Which means that when we study Torah, we're essentially reliving what went on in Harsinai. We're not trying to recapture or rehabilitate the lost truth. We're trying to maintain coexistent truths, literally, as it was given to Moshe at Harsinai. The Maharshal, the Yamshel Shlomo, Shlomo Luria, a 16th century Polish rub, has a slightly different articulation in his introductory comments to Babakama. He talks about different people attending Harsinai. Every Neshama was at Harsinai. And he sees every Neshama in his comments as a Tsinor, as a conduit. So I think the difference between the Maharshal and, let's say, the Ritva, as according to the Ritva, one person, Moshe Rabbeinu, and presumably the beneficiaries of Moshe's Torah, was able to see all of the to- total sweep. Whereas according to the Maharshal, each person saw their own truth, was more rational, more empirical, the way we process information, but there's so many people there that they each saw their truth differently. And those differences were maintained throughout the, un- the unfurling of the Masara. Namely, the common denominator between the Maharshal and the Ritva is that the process of Machlokas is not a breakdown of Harsinai in an attempt to recover the lone voice of Harsinai, but a replication, a duplication of what went on in Harsinai. According to the Ritva and the Maharal, both sides of the debate were given in Harsinai to the same address. Because according to the Maharshal, different people picked up different Masaras in Harsinai, but they're all Sinaitic. They're all echoed in Harsinai. Which means that based on either the Maharal and the Ritva or the Maharshal, our process of studying these opinions in the theoretical world of study is not solely geared towards uncovering that conclusive position, the authoritative position, the one statement made in Harsinai, but is rather retracing and re-experiencing what happened in Harsinai. And of course, the touchstone Gemara for this approach, that creativity, is not a breakdown of the Masara, but a reflection of the Masara is that Gemara and Erevin. The Ritva is commenting with that Gemara and Erevin. For three years, Beishamai and Beisilu had arguments, and at a certain point, the Baskal, Yud Gimel, Medbez, and Erevin emerged from Shemaim and said, Elu ve'elu devreilu kim They're both the words of Hashem. And then the Gemara says, but on a practical level, we'll Paschal make Beisilu for all sorts of reasons. But a detaching between, or a severing between the world of learning and theoretics and the world of Psaq. Theoretically, Beisham and Beisil have equal truth. Psaq-wise, in terms of how we'll make it, it's possible like Beisil. That's a Gemara which is highly suggestive, highly suggestive of multiple truths, of pluralistic approaches to Talmud Torah, even in the halachic sphere. Then there's a third approach which is perhaps even more ambitious than the Ritva and the Maharal and the Marshal. It's an approach which says that a Kodesh Baruch Hu did not deliver to Moshe multiple truths. Kodesh Baruch Hu delivered to Moshe a system. And that system was then developed into multiple truths as long as they cohere within the system. And this is based on a very interesting Medrash, Medrash and Kitisa. Moshe finished 
to learn the Torah. I'm sorry, the Daberitel. When Moshe finished receiving the Torah, Hashem finished speaking to Moshe. So the Medrash says, The word Kichaloso means, literally he concluded, but the Gemara, the Medrash, and Kitisa makes a play on words, Hashem taught Moshe general ideas, a general system. And when a Machlokis develops later, they're not recreating the multiple truths given in Harsinai. They're merely developing the system differently, and as long as the developments cohere within the parameters of the original system, they're each based on the system, and they're each Devar Lakim Chaim. There's a dynamic growth, not just a recreative. According to the first approach, Machlokis is a breakdown of the Masar. According to the second approach, the Maharshal and the Maharal, the Masar is multiple to begin with. And we can tap into those creative multiple coexistent truths. According to the third approach, we actually create Torah. As the bracha, that's the first bracha, but the bracha after Kriyasatara, and the Beis Yosef, very famous Beis Yosef, says, Chayolam refers to Torah Shabbat, which grows in the human heart. It's like a tree grows, Torah is Chayolam Natash, and place Torah Shabbat in our hearts. This would suggest that not everything was given to Moshe. And then going back to that Medrash, that everything was given to Moshe, Mikra, Mishnah, Halacha, Talmud, Tosetus, even any, any idea that a Talmud would ever utter, we'd have to reread that Medrash. It doesn't mean Hashem discussed with Moshe specifically every Torah idea which would ever be voiced, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered the system. And as Rabbanim developed the system, that becomes part of what Moshe heard figuratively because it coheres and abides by the system. Very interesting Gemara in Menachos and Davchavtes, where Moshe Rabbeinu ascends to Shemaim and witnesses Hakadosh Baruch Hu affixing crowns to the various letters. And Moshe asks Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "Why are you affixing crowns? Who is forcing you?" And Moshe says, "Because one day Rabbi Akiva will need these crowns to issue drushos." And Moshe magically enters the base medrash of Rabbi Akiva and doesn't understand what they're talking about doesn't understand the drashos that Akiva is discussing with his Talmudim. He's a little bit sad until ultimately a question is raised, and Akiva says, oh, that question has no drasha. to halach Moshe misinai. Moshe told it to us at Harsinai. It's a very intriguing Gemara. Sounds like there are drashos that Rabbi Akiva discusses with his Talmudim that Moshe doesn't know, doesn't understand. Sounds like the two parts of Torah, the rule book, the playbook that was given by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe, Part of that playbook is Halach Moshe Misinai, and then the actual plays, or the actual derivations, which Moshe is unaware of, at least according to the simple reading of the Gemara and Menachos. So here, creativity is not just recapturing multiple truths, but actually creating truth out of the system of principles, the Yitgimomidos that HaKadosh Baruch delivers to Moshe. But either way, the last two approaches do not see there being one Masara that was lost, but multiple Masaras, either that were given in our Sinai, or multiple Masaras that attain valid Torah truth based on human beings developing the system of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So this is a very interesting historical question. It's hard to know. But again, the historical question would deeply impact the experience of Talmud Torah. How we study, are we interested more in a Lasuke Shemaitza Libet Hilchasa approach? We're trying to get to the conclusion we read a Gemara, we'll try to, of course, read the Gemara and the Rishonim, but basically trying to see the filtering effect. How does the Rambam rule, and the Torah, the Shulchan Arach, and taking it to its 
trying to slim down or pare down the tree of all the extraneous branches and just hit the trunk. Or the metaphor I used earlier to find that one tree in the forest is higher than all the others. Or do we plunge into the world of Shas and recognize that every tree is just as equal? And at least if we're involved in learning Gemara, not in trying to develop Sakalacha, then we luxuriate or indulge in each position regardless of its position in the hierarchy of authority. Obviously, we may feel Wamshad seems to be more extreme and more remote and less compelling logically, so we may not spend as much time on that. We may spend more time on what seems to be the dominant position in the Gemara's flow. But even if the dominant position isn't accepted halachically, we still want to pursue its latent truth.